really invite you to get your Bibles out uh, and turn with me to uh, Matthew chapter 12. And as you've already heard from both Anne and Krish, uh, this is a very challenging part of the Bible. This is a Bible that this is a part of the Bible that asks very significant questions. Uh, and in order to look at what this part of the Bible is actually saying, we need to understand what Matthew is doing here. Matthew chapter 11 and 12 are part of one kind of approach to writing. Matthew is trying to say the same thing in both chapters of, this, uh, of, of his book here in Matthew chapter 11 and 12. And it's all about who Jesus is and what place he has in your life. In Matthew chapter 10, he has spent time talking about this is what it means to be on mission. And then very soon in Matthew chapter 13, he will talk about the parables and teaching of Jesus. But in these two chapters, he's asking what place does Jesus have in your life? And as we begin this morning, just as we dive into this, it's a very important question. See, it's possible to come to church every Sunday and still for Jesus only to have a very small part in your life. It's possible that you haven't even got to a point where Jesus has the central part in your life. It's also possible that there was times in your life where Jesus was the most important thing in your life, but other things have come in. And here in Matthew chapter 11 and 12, Matthew is making it very clear who Jesus is and what it means to follow him. At the end of chapter 11, in verse 27, Jesus says, All things have been committed to me by my Father. No one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. What Jesus is saying is, I am the only way to God. There are many people who want to say there's lots of ways to God. What Jesus is saying here is exactly what he says in John 14, where he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. Now, we've taken a journey. We've heard from Dan and Renata and Laurie uh, as we've engaged with the, this passage. And as Dan led us back uh, a few weeks ago, if you look at verse 6 in Matthew chapter 12, there is a, a, Jesus says something here that would be absolutely offensive to the Jewish people. Jesus says, I tell you something greater than the temple is here. Something greater than the temple is here. For a Jewish person, that would be absolutely offensive. Because the temple was the place where heaven and earth came together. 
the temple was the intersection of heaven. It's where God and people came together. And for Jesus, not only to say that, but to say that he was the Lord of the Sabbath would have been offensive. Jesus, in saying this, is saying he is God. Not only is he saying the only path to God is through me, he is saying, when he says he is where heaven and earth intersect, he is saying he is God. When he's saying he is Lord of the Sabbath, he is saying he is God. And just in case anybody is a bit confused about what Matthew is trying to say, Matthew then quotes Isaiah 42 and quotes the Old Testament prophecy about the Messiah. And he points out that in his name, all the nations will put their trust. That in Jesus' name, people will put their trust. And, and almost as if to reinforce uh, what he's trying to say, we get to the bit that Laurie was talking about last week, where people bring to Jesus somebody who's afflicted by a demonic force. And it takes Jesus a few seconds to deal with it. You'll see, uh, it just says, and Jesus healed him. It wasn't complicated. Jesus dealt with the demon just like that. And all the people were amazed. It says, everybody said, maybe this is the Messiah. This was a sign that had them wondering. And the Pharisees said, no, that's not the Messiah. Uh, the Pharisees now come to him and say, uh, we want to see a sign from you. He's just got rid of a demon. I don't know what else they wanted. But it does raise this question. It can be tempting to want to put ourselves over the top of Jesus and say, Jesus, I want you to prove yourself to me in the way that works for me. And that's what the Pharisees were doing. And one of the dangers for us is that we can try and fit Jesus into our plans. We can fit him into our ideas. And what Matthew is making it clear we understand is, no, that doesn't work. Jesus says to the Pharisees, look, you want a sign? Okay, I'll give you a sign, but it's not the sign you're expecting. I'm going to give you the sign of Jonah. That just as Jonah was in the fish for three days, I will be gone for three days and then I will come back. Now, some people get worried about the three days and three nights and how that works and because Jesus was died on a Friday and came back on a Sunday and that's only two nights. But for those who are interested in following up how Jewish people saw time, uh, there's notes in the online uh, version of the, of the sermon notes. If you go to the Bible app, there's a notes there about how Jewish people saw time and how it makes a lot of sense in a Jewish way of thinking, but it doesn't make a lot of sense in a Western way of thinking. So don't have to worry about that too much. But what Jesus says to them is, when, Joseph, when Jonah went to Nineveh and he pointed out that they were going wrong, they repented. 
And so now they're going to judge you. At the, the heart of our faith is this central question. Who do I trust? Do I trust my ways of doing things or do I trust Jesus? And if I'm trusting my ways of doing things, then I'm in dangerous territory. What, the, uh, what Jesus says is now something very similar to what he said about the temple. Something greater than Jonah is here. And then he says something about the Queen of Sheba. I don't know if you remember, in the Queen of Sheba, or the Queen of the South, comes and visits Solomon in the Old Testament because she knows how wise he is and she wants some of that wisdom. And Jesus says, you've heard my wisdom, but you haven't responded. So the Queen of Sheba will judge you. And he actually says something greater than Solomon is here. Now, this is one of those bits in the Bible where it's easy to, to skip over. But do you notice that the way, when, when Jesus says something greater than the Queen of the South, then he says something greater than Jonah, and earlier he said something greater than the temple. Do you notice it's the same words. One of the things that Jewish people understood was that God worked with Israel through three groups of people. He led Israel through the prophets, the priests, and the kings. And what Jesus is saying here is, I am greater than your prophets. In talking about being greater than the temple, he's saying, I'm greater than any priest you've ever had. And in talking about being greater than Solomon, he's saying, I'm greater than any king you've ever had. He's saying, the whole story of Israel comes together in me. And now it's in that context. He, he, he tells a story of somebody who has been oppressed by evil and has had the evil taken away in a moment like that. And one of the dangers can be is we can keep wanting moments where the difficulties just get taken away. We can keep looking for the moments the magical moments, the mountaintop moments. And we can somehow think that our faith should always be about these moments where evil gets taken away. Well, Jesus says the moments aren't the main game. This person had a moment that evil was taken away and they, it's interesting, he says that they swept clean the house. When he's talking about the person that they took the time to make their insides right. They did some self-help. They got some good self-help books and, and worked on themselves. And this is the, the central question of our lives when it comes to who, who is Jesus in our lives. We can look for magical moments or we can do, see Jesus as a self-help guru but one of the things we all have to face is what Jesus is saying is all of us have a gap, an emptiness. There's a man by the name of St. Augustine who is one of the greatest teachers that the church has had in history. And what he says, our hearts are restless. 
until they find their rest in you. I don't, we all have different gaps. You were designed to be loved perfectly. You were designed to live in a world of abundance. But your parents weren't perfect. Difficult things happen. And all of us have gaps in who we are. The Apostle Paul talks about a thorn in the flesh. One of the dangers can be is we can look, look down on people who struggle with different things than we do. But all of us struggle. It is really important to know where your deficits or your gaps are. Because Jesus is saying it's there in the gaps. That's where the demonic forces of evil come to, to play. It's in the parts of you that are not filled by Jesus that are aware that you are open to the forces of evil. And so for you, if you were to answer the question, my life would be better if I had. It's a really important question to be able to answer. For some people, my life would be so much better if people just took me more seriously because nobody takes me seriously. For other people, my life would be better if I had more money or if I was more beautiful. Or life would be better if I just had people listen to me or if I was a leader and everybody did what they were told. I don't know what it is for you, but can you identify for you that there is an answer to that question where you feel like your life isn't complete? Can you? It's actually important to know because the Bible talks about the battle between the flesh and the spirit and you have a flesh. You have a flesh that longs for fulfillment and it looks for fulfillment in the wrong places and to the extent you look for fulfillment in places other than Jesus you open yourselves and you open yourself to the power of evil and this is where we in the church have to work at being honest with each other how can you live a life where you're honestly facing what the Bible calls the flesh, what Jesus calls the gap. Well, it is, to start with, it's about focusing on Jesus and understanding that there will never be anything that fills the gap other than God. That vacuum, the mathematician Pascal said, is a God-shaped vacuum and Augustine says, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. Have you ever got the thing you thought would make you feel better? Have you ever, if it was a house or a car or a girlfriend, have you ever got the thing you thought was going to make you, if, if all of a sudden you wanted to be a leader so people would listen to you? And Have you ever got the thing? You notice it doesn't work? You can't fill the gap with anything but God. But the demonic forces of evil want to get you to look for other things than God. And Galatians says that's where you become a slave to other things than God. I'd love to have more time to talk about it, but obviously we're a little short for time this morning with a few other things going on. But 
Colossians 1.27 says, God has cho chosen to make known the mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Christ in you. The starting point of not having to worry about demonic forces attacking is to make sure that Jesus is the centre of your life and nothing else is. The second thing is you need another family. Jesus finishes this chapter, and again, I would have loved to have more time to talk about this, but he says, everything's different now. Because of what I've done, you've got a new family. And what is the, if you look at the text, what is the new family based on? Look at the Bible. You see, at the end of chapter, 20, uh, uh, end of chapter um, 11 there, end of chapter 12, actually, end of chapter 12, brother, what makes the new family the new family? Yeah, yeah, it's people who, it's not people who call themselves Christians, is it? Did you notice that? It's not people, what, what is it? People who do the will of God. The central question for your life is who's in charge. And then once you're willing to put God in charge, you then need brothers and sisters who can be honest with you. I wrote a, a book that said that you need, I believe you need to find, uh, the book is called Six Radical Decisions. And in it, I, I reckon you need to find three or four people you can be honest with. You need the, you need the church. You need the broader, you, we need to come together and worship. But throughout the church's history, you need at least three or four other people who know you well enough and who you meet with regularly, who know when you're being driven by the gap and not by God. You need that experience of family who are committed to Jesus' will and not just your will. This is the, the central question. Because the problem can be you can turn up at church on church meetings, turn up in Sunday morning, and you can make it look good. But the, the central question of your life is, is Jesus the most important person in your life and is there anyone in your life that knows how you're going with Jesus and can I just say just as we close I, I've loved uh, every Wednesday morning I get together with three other men and we talk about how life is going but one of the things we've found is just getting together is no guarantee that you'll be honest Uh, Mark brought up uh, a little while ago, he said, because we regularly ask, how are you going with God? And that's a really important question to be asking. Then he said, let's, let's, let's ask each other how you're really going and do our best to be honest. Jesus says, you are part of a new family. And can I challenge you to find two or three others you can meet with regularly because you need that. But when you're meeting with them regularly, can I encourage you to ask how you're really going? And is Jesus really in charge?
and to love each other enough to let each other not be perfect. Because nobody's perfect. You're in danger when the gap runs the show. I would have loved to have spent a lot more time talking about some of this stuff. But I think that's enough. The central, what Jesus is wanting to make clear, what Matthew is wanting to, us to hear from Matthew chapter 11 and 12 is this question. Who is Jesus in your life? Really? Who is, who, who is Jesus in your life? What sets your agenda? What sets your priorities? And who in your life knows when that agenda is being set by something other than Jesus? I might just pray and then we'll hand it back to Robin to let, finish our time. Uh, Jesus, we, we acknowledge uh, on a morning like this, there's so much going on. But for all of us in our lives, there's so much going on. It's so easy to have our agenda set by other things than you. Help us be open, Jesus. Help us be, first of all, help us fill the gap with you and not with other things. And secondly, can you help all of us find three or four others we can be honest with? Not just three or four others we can meet with, but three or four others we can look in the eyes and say, how are you really going? And how are you really going with God? Help us find the kind of fellowship we need, the kind of family we need, so that you can really be the centre of our lives and other, people won't, and other things won't be. We need your help, Jesus. So help us be open to all that you are and all that you have for us. We ask this in your name. Amen.